This episode contains major plot spoilers for George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Hi, and welcome to a special bonus episode of Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We typically bring you horror movie reviews in a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, but here in episode 123, we've gathered to discuss the end of an era in horror cinema. I'm your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts tonight are... Dave Dr. Shock Becker, from just outside Philadelphia, PA. Wolfman Josh. Welcome, welcome. And we also have our fourth official HMP co-host tonight, the prodigal Professor Returns. You will know him as a true zombie expert. We welcome back Dr. Walking Dead, Kyle Bishop. Hey, I'm happy to be back for this uh, little tribute show. I've heard that uh, Cora really wanted me to come back on the show. Mm-hmm. So always happy to appease the fans. Yeah. <laughs> welcome back, sir. Have you been doing pretty well, Kyle? You look well in your picture. Uh, I've been uh, I've been teaching and I wrapped up my uh, third book, although this is not uh, a book that I wrote. It's a book I edited. Mm-hmm. So I'll just do a little plug early instead of late. I know I usually do that later, but I just wrapped up uh, The Written Dead, which is the first collection of scholarly essays about zombie literature. So I know this is horror movie podcast, but uh, the zombie has well and truly made its way into books and scholars and academics are just starting to notice. So uh, if any of you are interested in that topic, it's called The Written Dead. It's available on Amazon. It's about 30 bucks. Sorry about that. (laughs) Uh, But it went well. It was interesting to edit a collection because then I had to deal with other human beings, which is uh, taxing. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, So I did that. And then I went to Europe for a few weeks. I went to England to take my students, 14 students, to study Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. It was rough, but I did it. And then uh, I spent a week visiting uh, Dracula locations, uh, locations that feature in Bram Stoker's novel. So that's mm. kind of what I've been up to. It's uh, it's hard to be a college professor, but, you know. Yeah. You get by. <laughs> I get by. That's right. Yeah, I heard about this uh, Dracula locations tour, and um, I was raising my eyebrow at you from afar for not uh, uh, cluing us in on some of that information, but maybe at a future date, sir, maybe. Well, with literature, I just, you know, okay. two worlds. <laughs> okay. Well, we also want to take the time to welcome another special guest tonight. He is the Gill Man, Joel Robertson from Universal Monster Cast and Retro Movie Geek. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me, guys. I am excited to be here, get to meet Kyle and talk to a couple of the guys I've heard of, you know, Dave and and Josh. So that'll be fun. (laughs) I'm glad you're here. Okay, well, let's get down to it. Uh, We are gathered here for a bonus episode. We're recording this to commemorate a solemn occasion, the loss of George Andrew Romero. He died on Sunday, July 16th, and he was 77. Mm -hmm. Just by way of a little setup, because I'm going to kick it over to Kyle and Joel pretty fast here. But uh, the Los Angeles Times and many other outlets reported that on July 16th, Romero died in his sleep following a brief but aggressive battle with lung cancer. And um, his family said that he died while listening to the score of one of his favorite films, The Quiet Man, with his wife and daughter at his side. So I thought that was beautiful. Um, George Romero worked as a director, writer, editor, cinematographer, and sometimes even actor. And I just learned recently that he was a tall man. He was six foot 
yes. five inches. And, um, yes, very tall. That's it. That's the oh. And I understand that Kyle, I just learned this too. Kyle Bishop <laughs> is very tall as well. Very tall. Yes. I am also 6'5". Okay. Wow. Yeah. So don't mess I with think I think him. Brain from the Sci-Fi Podcast is up there too. So you get, we have a lot of tall folks. Huh. Well, guess what? Um, Nick from GeekCast Live is nearly seven foot tall Peter, seven wow. feet tall. i think peter's pushing wow. up there too he's like six and eight six nine something yeah. like that so yeah that's right. incredible <laughs> anyways <laughs> i don't know how we get onto this uh tall stuff but anyways uh <laughs> george romero is a legend and an icon among the horror community and he's considered the father of the modern zombie film i've even heard some people call him the godfather of the zombie film but that, that would be me yes so dr walking <laughs> dead tell us why tell us why he is such a legend Uh, So the zombie was not what it is today before Romero got in the mix. Um, The zombie was not a creature necessarily to be feared. It was more of a creature to be pitied. Um, The great fear was to become a zombie. And zombie movies were really not great. There were a few exceptions uh, prior to 1968, but mostly they were kind of schlocky and mildly racist fare, uh, trying to capitalize on some of the folklore that was coming out of Haiti at the time, trying to capitalize on on the universal line of, horror, of monster movies in the 30s, and some really weird kind of explorations of alien-induced zombification, such as the infamous Plan 9 from Outer Space, and the actually pretty underrated Invisible Invaders, which is quite good. But then uh, Romero changed everything, and this is one of the reasons why I think he made such an impact, because we're not talking about somebody who really invented new filmmaking technology. We're not talking about somebody who won countless awards. We're not even talking about somebody who made a lot of money. Uh, But we are talking about somebody who kind of single-handedly invented a subgenre, and a a subgenre that has gone on to be hugely successful, uh, a success that the inventor did not necessarily enjoy himself, which has always struck me as mildly tragic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, I just wanted to, as part of my tribute to him, to remind listeners and, and ourselves about what this guy did. So he was a you know experimental film student. He was trying to make movies. He was thinking about stories he could tell that were low budget that could capitalize on local talent and just kind of work in his his own home around. Pittsburgh. And he gets into his head this this kind of harebrained scheme to turn I Am Legend into a movie, even though it had already been adapted as uh, Last Man on Earth mm-hmm. um, with Vincent Price, which is a pretty, pretty uh, loyal adaptation, all things considered. But so he wanted to come up with this new version of it, kind of this new idea to take that as his starting point to come up with something else. And so he came up with the grand idea of Night of the Anubis, or the Night of Anubis. And the Night of Anubis was uh, initially a a single film adapted from I Am Legend, but with the concept of a trilogy uh, that would go on to explore this this idea. And the idea that he loved, and the idea that kind of changed everything for the zombie the way I Am Legend changed everything for the vampire, was to make the monster the thing that's in the majority. And, and to us, that seems so no-brainer now. But before I Am Legend, it was almost always one monster against a whole bunch of people. Mm. So you, you have Dracula who comes into England, but it's just one vampire, and they got to fight him. 
but but this is kind of building. I mean, you can draw these threads back hundreds of years. It's kind of building on you know some War of the Worlds stuff from H.G. Wells, the idea of invasion and these mass groups of, of monsters that we have to band together to fight. Mm-hmm. But what Matheson did was, let's flip it entirely. Let's have a planet impopulated by monsters, and then one dude, one human dude who's trying to survive, uh, fecklessly, of course. <laughs> and but, but then he was just stealing from both Stoker and Mary Shelley, because Mary Shelley wrote The Last Man on Earth, or The Last Man. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. Anyway, so, so Romero says, I love that idea. I love the idea of the humans in the minority. I love the idea of the humans having to fight this, this large group of monsters. And what he took from the vampire tradition was the idea of contagion. The pre-Romero zombie movies really don't mess around with the idea of contagion because each zombie has to be raised individually by a voodoo priest or a, a magician or a mesmerist or an alien. And so it's really kind of somebody else is doing it. Somebody else is bringing these creatures back and ordering them around and telling them what to do, whether it's to attack people or to work in the sugar fields or to work in a silver mine, uh, which is Plague of the Zombies, another great film. Um, so he's like, okay, let's take this, let's take this idea of a, of a monster that attacks people, but instead of drinking their blood, let's have them eat the whole body. Um, <laughs> instead of operating under the command of someone else, let's have them operate under, you know, blind consumption alone. Instead of the monsters being risen from the dead or raised from the dead by somebody else, let's have it be spontaneous, global, and infectious. And then, as most people know, but some of the listeners may not, he was not thinking zombie. He was thinking ghoul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, the ghoul is a really untapped monster. Uh, there is a film called The Ghoul that predates uh, Night of the Living Dead. But really, the ghoul can be traced back to Arabian Nights uh, that's often called Thousand and One Arabian Nights. Because the ghoul is a Middle Eastern monster. And it's a demon, usually a woman or a female demon. And these demons... Uh, subsist on corpses, human corpses. So they uh, they hang out in cemeteries and they dig up human bodies and they eat the bodies. So here's this guy. This is it's all. I'm coming around. <laughs> George Romero, young kid. He's like, hey, vampires, cool. Siege narrative, awesome. Zombies like how they move. The ghoul eating bodies, eating human bodies. Let's make him eat live human bodies. Let's have that bite turn them into the monsters. And he put all these threads together, and he goes out with his buddies, and he's like, hey, let's make a movie. <laughs> let's make a movie, and let's get everybody on board, and we'll get just some local people. And um, because he's a good actor, let's cast this guy. Hey, he's black. I don't care. Let's put him in the lead role. It's 1968. That's not unusual. Uh, <laughs> and let's just kind of make this movie happen. And then he tells this insanely claustrophobic story about people stuck in a house with reanimated dead corpses attacking them from the outside where the only pieces of information they can get are misinformation from the news media and that culminates not only in a catastrophic showdown but in the death of all the protagonists. Sound familiar? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because uh, prior to 1968, that was not a familiar formula. Since 2005, it's uh, we're almost sick of it. (laughs) 
And right. that's, that's George Romero. So I, I kind of went on for a little bit. I wanted to set the stage particularly about Night of the Living Dead. We, we should also talk about other films that he made, of course. But I want to know if the other guys want to chime in on, on this film, its creative process, or the impact it had on you or personally or filmmaking in general. Go ahead, Gilman. All right. Well, it's actually very personal for me. I saw it when I was 11. Uh, it was not the first intense horror movie I had seen. My older cousin had exposed me to Dario Argento's uh, Phenomena, a.k.a. Creepers, prior to that. Uh, and I'd seen bits and pieces of Fright Night. But uh, yeah, I was like around 11, um, and one of my neighbors, his uh, uncle, had a decent collection of horror flicks. And we got this one, and then I want to say within the next year or so, we saw Day of the Dead. I saw both of those before I saw Dawn. And obviously the movie had a huge impact on me, scared the hell out of me. Um, I actually remember, I think it was the moment when they're in the farmhouse early on, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, which I'm mm. assuming everyone who's listening right now has, uh, and you see the corpse where it's the, 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 you know, the eye is right there in the, in the frame and the flesh is ripped off the face of, I uh, presumably the, the previous tenant, um, and I just remember how horrified I was and, you know, fast forward some years later and I, I, I basically lifted wholesale certain audio samples and whatnot. And, uh, the movie had a, a pretty profound influence on a little short I made called shadows of the dead. And I, in fact, used the clip where you hear the reporter saying the, uh, bands of marauding ghouls. And, and so, uh, yeah, it had a, a huge impact on me. And then fast forward several years later from that. And my, uh, podcasting buddy, Jason grooms and I actually went to a local horror convention in Orlando and got to meet Mr. George Romero and got our picture with him. And, and he is a tall yeah. dude. Uh, he was, you could tell he was already frail at that point. This was a few years ago. Um, cause he was, you know, he was sitting a lot and there, you know, but you could even just tell, I mean, I mean, I'm about six one and even, even with him in his stool, <laughs> I'm standing next to him. He's still, uh, pretty uh iconic not just in uh you know stature but just in his his filmmaking prowess i think the thing that shocked me the most though going back over his imdb page is i always forget he only i mean i say only using you know air quotes he only directed 20 movies all, i mean and a lot of that early on is some documentary type stuff um but you know as far as his directorial credits he has 20 and yet when you think of the impact that several of those 20 had it's just, it, it's amazing. And I, you know, it's a, it's a loss, obviously. Um, I was looking up some stuff earlier since I know later on we we're going to be talking about another horror icon. Um, just see what he said, because I, I know they worked closely on many projects. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's very sad. I am happy to hear that he went out the way he did. I mean, I, you know, at the end of the day, you're right, surrounded by family and you close your eyes going to sleep, listening to your favorite film score. I think that's, that's a pretty sweet way to. Uh, right set sail so mm -hmm. agree yeah thank you what about you dr shock i got this movie as a birthday gift i guess early in high school so around 13 14 and um i as i was watching it um you know it wasn't scary to me at first because the uh the ghouls moved so slowly um and there's even a scene early on where someone pushes a chair out onto a porch and lights it on fire and there's no urgency to it just sort of sits there and watches and then just sort of but casually goes back into the house and shuts the door. So it was almost comical early on for me. And then, you know, more show up and then a hundred show up and it gets, and you're like, okay, now it's getting a little bit tense. But then finally there's a, a scene late in the movie, not to go into spoilers, but involving a, uh, a gas pump and the immediately immediate aftermath of that. 
at that point, I was just like, yeah, this is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As far as w- with that movie, and 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 one of the things about about Romero, you know, that that I always was was impressed with was just how he how he would pull you know you know sort of modern day events into the movies. And uh, you know, Dawn of the Dead's my one of my all time favorite films, and and mm-hmm. it's it's got con- consumerism in there, and um, you know, sort of a critique on that. There's just so much about it that I always admired how he was able to do that. I'm glad you brought that up, Dave, because that's one of the things I wanted to direct it. Kyle, it seems to me that Romero's always been, he was always modest about downplaying his role and not just like, you know, zombie cinema, but also in, in his ability to add like this underlying commentary. I even read a quote from him. He said one time, uh, just because I'm showing somebody being disemboweled doesn't mean I have to get heavy and put a message around it. So why, why do you think he would always underplay that? Because don't we all agree that it was pretty clear that he did have something uh, to say? Yeah. And, and I think there are a number of filmmakers who are like that. I always think of the Coen brothers cause they're, they so deny that they're doing what they're always doing. <laughs> yeah. And I think Romero was the same way. Cause I mean, he, as far as I know, he went to the grave denying that there was any significance to have a black lead in, in the film. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's hugely significant. Uh, and, and so his social commentary is so spot on and is so powerful. There's no way that he, he accidentally did it. I think in a lot of ways, uh, the man was very humble. But I also think that he was forced into it because of his lack of kind of commercial success. Um, and so I could see that I could see him doing his thing quietly, making his independent films and, and enjoying the, the impact that they had on the world, but that he wouldn't be the kind of man who would get out there and be, that's right. I'm awesome. You're right. Doing all these <laughs> right. things, changing the world. Mm-hmm. So all monsters are metaphors. I mean, that's what they are. That's what they are at their heart because they're not real. Um, at least, you know, the, the supernatural monsters, that's what they're designed for because they're able to tell stories that we can't tell in a realistic fashion. And he was much more savvy to that than a lot of other filmmakers because it was often lost in translation. So since I mentioned Dracula before Stoker's Dracula is so powerful as a novel because it really throws the fear of invasion in the face of an imperial power. So here's this nation that has invaded every planet, every country under the sun. So what do they fear the most? That somebody will invade them. Mm -hmm. And so Stoker's pretty blatant about it. Well, then you get to uh, the film versions. You get to Browning's Dracula. And it's basically just, it's not there. It's a little anti-Semitic, but it's not. All the kind of social commentary is completely stripped out of it. Well, Romero was... He, he not only leaned into it, he, he embraced it because, yeah, Night of the Living Dead is, is about kind of this assault, literal assault on the American family, on the American institution. So they attack a house. They rip a family apart, literally. So they, they, they quarreling and bickering siblings, a, a young dating couple, uh, parents who hate each other and whose child can't exist anymore in the, in the marriage, in the family. I mean, that stuff is not subtle. It's not, oh, whoops, there it is. <laughs> right. um, I mean, it's there. And then, yeah, absolutely, his masterpiece, in my mind, is Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead just took 1970s culture, 
the rise of mall culture, the obsession with uh, acquisition, the cons- conspicuous consumption, um, and just blew the doors off it mm-hmm. and, and made one of the most insightful, disturbing, upsetting movies ever made. And then he kept doing it, right? So, so Day of the Dead, Cold War, uh, the problems with the military versus science, the end of the world. Uh, Land of the Dead, which is sometimes panned. I have been, I have said unkind things about it in the past, but I, I think it really holds up well. Um, it's worth a, mm-hmm. a reviewing if you haven't seen it in a while. But it takes on ideas of immigration and border control and class disparity and and the housing crisis. Uh, Diary of the Dead, I actually really like. I like Diary a lot. A lot of people don't, but it takes on social media and uh, and and. Facebook culture and it's very meta and, and reverse stuff. That would be the low point for me, but it has more to do with the way it's shot than with, um, I, I was unconvinced by kind of the found footage look more than anything else to do. With yeah. That. And I agree with that. I think it was his chance to play with that. Um, yeah. but yeah. And then survival of the dead. I don't like to talk about. So. <laughs> it's weird. I, I loved Land of the Dead. Actually, I, th- I think I thought it was a great return for him back to the zombie genre, and mm-hmm. that was a blast. D- l- let me ask you guys: Did any of you hear that he was working on another Dead film, but he was only going to produce? Did you? Did have any of you heard uh, that? I don't know. So many rumors. So, have any of you read Autopsies of the Dead? No, 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 um, it's, no. It's oh, and I'm no. blanking on the author's name. It was. It's written by a medical doctor um, who who I have met, um, and so I. This was about three years ago, and I have on firsthand account that he was he had acquired the rights to make this autopsy of the dead film, um, but then it 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 didn't happen. <laughs> so I, I can I confirm am- that film was in the pipe and didn't happen. But okay. just like two weeks ago, I heard that he had a new one in the series, and I don't remember what it was called. IMDb has it listed as George Romero Presents Road of the Dead. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to ask, too. Yeah, I saw that. Mm. And, it, and it's, and it's the, the quick synopsis is the story is set on an island where zombie prisoners race cars in an arena for the <laughs> sole purpose of entertaining the rich. Oh my gosh! <laughs> He's just attached as the producer and co-writer of that. Um, right. He's also right. he's also listed on IMDb Pro as the writer of a Day of the Dead te- television series for 2017, potentially, hmm. um, or a re- or another remake under the same. I name. think there's another remake that there was some talk about. Okay. Uh. And Empire of the Dead, a television series, right, uh, based on the graphic novel. Yeah, he was involved in that, which is a fascinating idea because it's zombies and vampires in a classed society. Um, so there's awesome. some there's some potential there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it's safe to say, and tell me if you disagree with this. As far as Night of the Living Dead goes, I, I bet you that has probably appeared in more horror films, like different horror films, than yes, any other right. movie, right? <laughs> For, right. for, a good, no copy, for a good reason. There's no copyright. Exactly right. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly right. That's yeah. why I, I, wanted, I wanted to speak to that because I've alluded to it a little bit. Because mm-hmm. um, remember, I, I said that the film was Night of Anubis, and he had done the the title sequence, and he had got the copyright. 
And then he decided that it was a dumb title. He didn't like it, whatever. So he went with Night of the Living Dead, changed the title sequence, did not change the copyright. Yeah. He he so, forgot. Very and sad. And so from the very first screening, that movie went into the public domain. Mm-hmm. But it was a double-edged sword. If he had owned it, if he had maintained the rights, it probably would not have made it much further than Pennsylvania. But because it was it was this new cutting edge horrifying thing. Oh, and another thing to notice, 1968 is when the production code went out. Uh, 68 is when we switched from production code to the MPAA rating system. So that's why you get Rosemary's Baby that year as well. Uh, so here's a film that could go into the movie theaters without a rating, without any censorship or control from the federal government. <laughs> and it was free for anyone who had a print to show. So guess what happened? Widespread. Everybody showed yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And every television, every local TV station was showing it at midnight. And yeah. within a few years, uh, it like became one of the most famous horror movies ever made. So it went Romero, viral. Yeah, it went viral it was- in the old-fashioned days. So here's, here's this young punk filmmaker who made this blockbuster sensation and didn't see any money from it, but he, but he changed the world. And it makes me think that might have been intentional. It was like this metaphorical zombie virus. His film itself was spread. If, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. And so that's why you get you start getting the Italian zombie movies, which are just nuts. They're cool, but they're off the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you get unauthorized sequels uh, and, and just everything went crazy. So he was able to make Dawn of the Dead. And so I would say Night of the Living Dead is his most influential film, but I think Dawn of the Dead is his best film. Mm-hmm. But it, he wouldn't have made that if not for the former snafu. Interesting. Yeah. The serendipity <laughs> at its best. So let's go around with kind of final thoughts and um, just anything else you have that you'd like to say before we hit the road on this. Um, what about you, Dr. Shock? Any final thoughts about George Romero? Well, just, you know, I mean, uh, uh, as far as his other movies, I mean, the one I always think of outside of the dead is uh, obviously Creepshow, um, which is tremendous. And my personal experience was that is I was watching it actually with my oldest son and he he's not a horror movie person, but he sat and watched the entire film and I was impressed. And when it was done, I said, hey, good job, buddy. You, You sat through the whole thing. Well, here he was so terrified after five minutes that he couldn't get up and leave the room because he was afraid <laughs> to leave me. And that's why he ended up sitting there watching the whole thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Creepshow uh, for me is, is uh, you know, probably the greatest, I think, horror anthology uh, mm. ever made. And, and I'd like to, I, did, I did read a quote. I saw this on Twitter, and I just was reading it again on IMDb. Um, that, that I always thought was uh, I thought was kind of funny. Uh, Romero said, "I'll never get sick of zombies. I only get sick of producers." Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, another quote of his I liked is, um, "I always thought of the zombies as being about revolution, one generation consuming the next," which supposedly he said that, <laughs> and that that sounds pretty cool too. <laughs> what about you, Joel? 
I, I, I feel like everything is, has really been said. I, I just, I've seen many of his films. There's just a couple on his list. Actually, Night Riders, I've never had a chance to see it. I've always wanted to see that one. It's, I think it's available on Prime, or I feel like I've seen it recently show up in one, one of my queues somewhere. So I'm going to jump on that post haste. But it's been a lot since I've seen it, but Martin and the crazies and just, yeah. you know, a, a lot of the work, especially the early work, is definitely dated. And was affected by its its low budget and and I think in some instances maybe the the low budget didn't work quite as well as it did with Night of the Living Dead uh, or even Dawn of the Dead for that matter. I mean I realize that was a you know bigger budget by comparison to Night, but still I, I just feel that even though you know he's gone, the work will live on, and obviously it's going to continue to be influential. I mean it's not even getting into you know his uh, creation and being you know behind. Uh, shows like Tales from the Dark Side, speaking of great anthologies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he he did so much great work. I don't know, did you guys ever see Bruiser, one of his mm-hmm. later mm-hmm. films? No, no. Yeah, I remember when it, uh, Fango covered it some years back. It came out in 2000, and it starred Jason Fleming and Peter Stormare, and it, it it's a very weird movie, but it also, there's a lot of social subtext on, running under the surface of that, and it's almost more of a mystery thriller. I mean, it's got a lot of horror elements, but it's, it's definitely a little bit outside the box. Uh, I made a comment to you guys that I was hoping to have done the dark half for our other discussion. I uh, didn't get to it yet, but I remember really enjoying that. I read the book years ago, and uh, I, remember, I remember really enjoying his adaptation of it. So, yeah, I just... It's sad. I mean, I don't know. I don't know which one for me personally hurt more, him or Craven. And when Carpenter mm-hmm. goes, I don't even want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. but you know, it's it's you know, obviously, I I con- condolences to it to his family and friends and and the people that really knew him. He seems like I don't think I've ever heard anyone say an unkind word about the guy. He seems like he was just a really gentle, uh, talented individual who helped you know g- give us nightmares in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we'll- Joel, I was just looking back over our top 10 lists for horror movie podcasts, and I noticed Jay and I both have Day of the Dead in our top 10, and Dave and Kyle both have Dawn of the Dead in our top 10. <laughs> Do you think any of Romero's movies make it in your top 10? Dawn, for sure. Yes, hands down. Dawn of the Dead is in my top 10. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, honestly, and I would say... Here's the problem because I don't, I, I, you know, with your top 10, you got to be somewhat precious with it. I would say night, I have that, you know, that, that childhood connection to, and it is so unbelievably groundbreaking when you consider all the variables. So I don't know, I, I go sort of back and forth, I, I vacillate, but I think just as an overall movie, if I have to pick one, it would have to be done. Right. Yeah. yeah. I've read this on the podcast before, so I apologize, but I do think it's like one of the best things I've ever read relating to Romero, and I'll just do a short excerpt from it. But in 1969, Roger Ebert, my hero film critic, he he was at a screening of Night of the Living Dead, and, and this isn't part of his review. It's just him reporting on the, the audience reaction to it. And he talked about how it was in a Saturday afternoon matinee, and there were actually a lot of kids there. And I'll I'll jump in at that point. He said, I went to see it because it's been a long time since I saw my last horror movie. I vaguely remember some stuff from the 1950s like Creature from the Black Lagoon or Attack of the Crab Monsters. They were usually lousy, but it was fun to see them. The mood of the audience seemed to change. Horror movies were fun, sure, but this was pretty strong stuff. There wasn't a lot of screaming anymore. The place was pretty quiet. 
When the fire died down, the ghouls approached the truck and ripped apart the bodies and ate them. One ghoul ate a shoulder joint with great delight, occasionally stopping to wipe his face. Another ghoul dug into a nice mess of intestines. The kids in the audience were stunned. There was almost complete silence. The movie had stopped being delightfully scary about halfway through and had become unexpectedly terrifying. There was a little girl across the aisle from me, maybe nine years old, who was sitting very still in her seat and crying. I don't think the younger kids really knew what hit them. They were used to going to the movies, sure, and they had seen some horror movies before, but this was something else. This was ghouls eating people up, and you could actually see what they were eating. I felt terror in that neighborhood theater last Saturday afternoon. I saw kids who had no resources they could draw upon to protect themselves from the dread and fear they felt. (laughs) <laughs> Dr. Walking Dead <laughs> uh, I'm just pardon the pun but I'm just digesting that quote because it, <laughs> I have I have introduced the film at local screenings before uh, I actually taught it for the first time this year which sounds crazy but I generally don't teach zombie films I write about them instead and it messes you up a little bit because it was again we're talking 68 everything changed in 68 um and this film was right at the front of that and really really shocking stuff um but yeah i'm glad that we mentioned some of his other works i think crazies is underrated i think um it's a it's a Mm -hmm. it's where he really steps back from the supernatural zombie but explores the same basic story in a very plausible way Mm -hmm. really really um, predicting things like 28 Days Later and, and the more sometimes debated, you know, is it a zombie, is it not a zombie? But, you know, it's whatever. It's it's the same story, but it's one that could happen. And so in a, in a lot of ways, crazies is scarier to me because uh, people can go crazy. People can get infected. Um, and then Martin, a lot of people have been saying in the last few days that Martin's really his best film. And, and a lot of people have a lot of passion for that movie. Mm. Um, but it's just, it, he's a, he was a remarkable man. And I, I think it's so interesting as we've named some of these other horror directors, the horror directors really do kind of change the world, but they do it from behind the scenes. They do it in the late night theater in the drive-in in the VHS tapes. They're not the ones winning the Academy Awards. They're not the ones on the red carpet. They're not the ones who get noticed. Uh, even people like Craven and Carpenter. But to me, I've built my whole career on this because I think horror movies are the ones that reveal the most about us as a people. I think it's the catharsis that is the, the deepest. Because as, as Stephen King famously writes, you know, we crave horror because we got to keep those gators fed. We all have them. <laughs> and if you don't feed the gators, they're going to go looking for food. But you need horror movies in a way you don't need a romance. You don't need a musical. They're awesome sometimes, but you need horror films to stay sane. Uh, and I love what Romero did with it. Um, I, I would do want to plug a few books if, if people are interested in, in more, uh, both, both biographical sketches, but also some scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony Williams uh, has written this really great book called The Cinema of George Romero. Uh, and it's... It, you know, it was 2003, so he doesn't cover the newer films, but it's a great, slim volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kim Paffenroth wrote a remarkable book called Gospel of the Dead, or Gospel of the Living Dead, which does a kind of a Christian reading of all of the dead movies as Christian uh, religious allegories, which is 
very different from how I approach the films. Um, so I encourage that. And then I, you know, shamelessly, uh, American Zombie Gothic is about half Romero, to be honest, <laughs> uh, which, which which is my book and, and my first uh-huh. book, and I and I cover Romero in some detail. Uh, so I was I was surprised, obviously, on Sunday. I was just I was so excited to celebrate the uh, the casting of a woman doctor on Doctor Who, which is so upset so many people. <laughs> so I was online reading all the uh, outraged tweets, and then clunk, George Romero dead. Yeah. And uh, it really, it was sad. Um, And this is self-serving, but, you know, I kind of had hoped with all that I've written and published on zombies that maybe I would have met the guy at some point. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did not, and I never will. And that, you know, that makes me, that makes me pretty sad. Um, But I'll have his films and I will continue to read them and watch them and enjoy them and write about them for the rest of my life. Well, sad. And Wolfman, you, you said you had some feedback from the community. Well, yeah, I mean, speaking of tweets, that's that's really I've been following the social media and just kind of reading these nice tributes to Mr. Romero. And, you know, I haven't had a lot to say this episode. I do really appreciate the man's work. He's been an influence on so many filmmakers that I love. And um, and he's been an influence on me personally. Again, like like Kyle said, kind of self-servingly. Um, you know, we're working on a project kind of behind the scenes right now that I kind of hoped he would see one day, but that, that, that won't happen. So I'm, I'm sad about that, but, um, I, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the guy. I, I was just going to go through Twitter and, and kind of read some of the tributes from other filmmakers and collaborators that I saw, which, which I really appreciated Stephen King, who we're talking about soon on horror movie podcast said, sad to hear my favorite collaborator and good old friend, George Romero, has died. George, there will never be another like you. Uh, Joss Whedon said, no one mind the zombie metaphor like Romero after he invented it. No one has come close. Rest in peace and thank you to a great film artist. Edgar Wright says, myself and Simon Pegg would not have had the same career in film without Romero. My thoughts on the man and his influence. And Edgar Wright actually wrote probably the nicest tribute I've read about Romero. Um, it's mostly just writes personal interactions with him, but it's really cool. I'd, I'd recommend people read that and I'll put a link to that mm-hmm. in the show notes. Tom Savini wrote goodbye, George A. Romero. We laughed through 50 years and nine films. I will miss him. There is a light that has gone out and can't be replaced. John Carpenter said George Romero was a great director, the father of modern horror movies. He was my friend and I will miss him. Rest in peace, George. Jordan Peele, who, of course, just released his excellent film Get Out Mm. this year, uh, has a photograph here from Night of the Living Dead, and it says Romero started it. So he knew where his uh, (laughs) legacy hailed from. Of course, there were a lot of really nice remarks from our community, and we retweeted a lot of those on our Twitter feed, um, including awesome posts, Jay, from you and from Dave and from Kyle. And so those are all on our Twitter feed. But but lastly, I'll just end with this one from Guillermo del Toro. He says, honor George A. Romero today, rewatch one of his films. So that's what I'm going to do. In fact, I watched The Dark Half today, but I'm going to watch one of his zombie films tonight. So mm. I, I'm excited about that. Arrow video has a, a new um, selection of films coming out, which was just announced on July 14th. So oddly timed, I suppose. But 
Um, it's called the Between Night and Dawn Collection, and it highlights some of Romero's non-zombie nice. films between Night of the Living mm. Dead and Dawn of oh, the well, Dead. Oh, it, it's got The Crazies, Season of the Witch. Season of the Witch, excellent. And there's always Vanilla uh, packaged together, so uh, only excluding Martin and um, a comedy that he made during that time. So mm. uh, Nice collection, all new art, it looks beautiful. Arrow videos, uh between night and dawn collection so excellent well thank you you know and this has been a great tribute to george romero you know and kyle had some awesome insights and and joel thanks for joining us and thank you but i think it's important to say that this is not the last word on uh, mr romero at some point in the future we will be doing i'm guessing at least two episodes looking at the dead movies Mm -hmm. of george romero because i think that it is that important to horror that it's that they're going to need their own episodes to uh, to cover them and discuss them mm-hmm. you got it absolutely we will and i will obviously be on those <laughs> yeah, <Good>. yeah. <laughs> so those come out as soon as kyle's available we will <laughs> do i will make right. those happen that's right I thought we should mention that as we record this, this is the 32 year anniversary of the release of Day of the Dead. So that's kind of cool. Nice. So July 19th. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And, uh, you know, just 17 (laughs) days ago, just so you know, July 2nd was the 41st anniversary of the release of Jay of the Dead. (laughs) So. Jeez. Oh, wow. The release. There was an image I did not need. Hey, Thanks, Jay. 1976, Joel. That was the year I came out. Yeah, me too, buddy. I'm right there with you. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, we're grateful that the listeners tuned in for this little bonus episode, and we're glad to have uh, the Gill Man, Joel Robertson, and of course our uh, co-host, Kyle Bishop, Dr. Walking Dead, with us tonight. Uh, before we close out the show with just our uh, plugs here, I just want to make sure that people know that our next episode coming up is our Stephen King Part 1 that releases on Friday, July 28th which will be followed by a Stephen King part two that concludes with our Dark Tower review. So we hope everyone will stay tuned. And if you haven't subscribed to Horror Movie Podcast, please do that. We have been getting questions from the community, people who would want to hear older episodes. I know in iTunes, we only have, what, the most recent 25 or 50 episodes in iTunes. But you can get all of our episodes all the way back to episode one at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. Joel, please tell the listeners where they could catch up with you and uh, hear more of your excellent work, sir. Well, you can get more of my shenanigans over at Retro Movie Geek, RetroMovieGeek.com, and of course, the Universal Monsters cast, where I uh, proudly co-host with Wolfman Josh and Dr. Shock. Yeah, I hope people check those out. I've heard a lot of praise and great feedback about the music that Kagan gave some insights to for the Mummy score. Like, And I haven't heard it yep. yet, so I can't yeah. wait to tune in on that. And then Doc was um, ripping it up on the 1932 original Mummy. What about you, Dr. Walking Dead? Where can the listeners catch up with you? Uh, in four weeks, I will begin a, an engagement Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the classrooms at SUU. Uh <laughs> If you want to come take a class, Southern UT University. Uh, I have a, I ha, I'm on Twitter, but not my Twitter activity has not been great. Uh, I'm working on that, but it's at Doctor Walking Dead, and um, it's more quality over quantity, I think, at this point. Mm-hmm. I'd love to jump in on that. That's right. And uh, I encourage anyone to purchase my collected works uh, from Amazon. <laughs> yeah. I'm so bad at. Of promoting my own work. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, 
I, I just feel like it's something our listeners would be interested in. So I, mm-hmm. I, I would always hate doing ads on our show if they were for a new posturopedic mattress or supplements. You know, <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but I, I feel great about it when it's stuff that our, I know our audience would love. And I think your books are right up their alley. If mm-hmm. you're listening to the show and you haven't read Kyle's books, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, I, I, I own them both. And by the way, so that that uh, documentary, what is it called? Is it called uh, Document of the Dead? No, it's Doc of the Dead. Thank I'm you. That one. Sorry, Doc of the uh, Dead. It used to be on Netflix. It's not a bad film, really. Mm-hmm. So. Kyle is featured in that film, and it's great. I love it. All right, and then um, everybody knows where to find us, uh, Doc and Josh and Jay here. But um, we do want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for this particular special episode. The old school listeners will recognize that tune. And um, I, I think that's it. So make sure you join us again next Friday for part one of our Stephen King coverage of Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. I have one little announcement that I need to make. I almost hate to do it here at this awesome George A. Romero tribute, but we have some business to take care of that our NPM and HMP listeners need to know about. So... If you don't mind, we'll just take one moment here to talk about the 2017 MPN Meetup event. The Movie Podcast Network Meetup 2017 event is coming October 14th, 2017 in Salt Lake City, Utah. You can order your tickets now at our Indiegogo page, which you can find at our website, horrormoviepodcast.com. I've had a little bit of feedback about things people are confused about, so I just wanted to clear those up really quick. Number one, you are not pledging your support. This event is happening regardless of how the Indiegogo campaign goes. You are simply pre-buying your ticket to the event. And the reason we're doing it through Indiegogo is so that we can have a tiered level to know exactly how big a theater we need to rent. But it is important that you pre-buy your tickets and hopefully pre-buy them soon so that we know because we need to put deposits on these buildings and we want to make sure we get the right size. So if you're thinking about going and you're waiting to see how this campaign goes before you book your tickets, don't wait. The event is happening regardless, 100%. Two, the only official day of the meetup is Saturday the 14th. Yes, we are planning on doing some other fun activities on the 13th and the 15th for those people who were in town but none of that is official and none of it is planned as of now. We just know that we are, there are some things we want to be doing on those days. But what you're buying your ticket to, the official meetup event, is a film screening and a live podcast with the Movie Podcast Network hosts, including, I think, all of the Horror Movie Podcast hosts, all of the Movie Podcast Weekly hosts, all of the Sci-Fi Podcast hosts, most of the Movie Streamcast hosts, the Universal Monsters cast hosts, someone from Retro Movie Geek. Basically, every podcast is going to be represented at this meetup except for GeekCast Live. I can now also announce at this time something I'm super excited about, that Kagan Breitenbach, the composer of the kind of classical arrangement of our HMP theme at the beginning of the show, is going to be providing live music at the MPN meetup event with his Quartet Macabre. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Quartet Macabre and Kagan's work, I highly recommend checking it out. He plays the coolest stuff you can check them out on youtube and i will link to that in the show notes remember our patreon supporters get a five dollar discount and liz from the sci-fi podcast has secured us a discount room rate at two 
Marriott locations in the greater Salt Lake City area. So if you're looking for a hotel, you do not need to stay there. We do not get anything if you do stay there, but she was able to get some discounted rates. Those are listed and linked at our Indiegogo page. So get all of that, including your ticket, at the MPN Meetup Event page at Indiegogo.com, which if you want to link the rest, you can at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. 